All right, so we've been going over the salvation and how salvation is a work of the Holy Spirit. Christian forgot And this morning, we're going to progress with that same thought. Not only that we are saved by the power of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, but that he guides and directs us in our sanctification. Somebody remind me, what does justification mean? Just as if you had never sinned. Uh, yeah, I know there's a better one than that, but that can match my mind. <laughs> That's a good way to remember. Yeah, we are kind of like a kindergarten type thing. But, yeah. yeah, we are declared righteous. And to be declared righteous, we have to not only not have sin, but we have to have a, a positive um, righteousness attributed to our account. So 2 Corinthians 5, 1 says that God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So not only do we not have sin to our account, but we have a righteousness that's credited to our account. And so justification um, means to be declared righteous. And so that righteousness is not something that we have so much as it is something that that God sees when he looks at us rather than the simple rock people that we are. Yeah, so he doesn't um, make us righteous. Justification doesn't talk about how he makes us righteous uh, because we still go on, we still sin, we still fall short of the glory of God. But we are declared righteous. So he puts a stamp of approval on us saying, this, my child, my, my son or daughter in the faith, who has called on me to believe in me, they are declared to be righteous. Um, it's pretty much the opposite of condemnation. So you think of a, a court-like setting, and a judge can lay down the gavel, and he can condemn somebody. That doesn't make them guilty, necessarily. There can be innocent people who are condemned as being guilty. But to be justified is to be declared righteous, even though, practically speaking, we still sin. We still go on and struggle through life. What about well, other thoughts or questions on that? Does that make sense? Justification. Well, on a credit ledger instead of a debit, we have credit. It's not a zero. It's a plus. Yes. And Jerry is our, our treasurer, so he thinks in financial terms. So, yes, not a minus, not a zero, but a plus. And it's, We're in the black. And it's, <laughs> yeah. and it's never at zero. It's either infinite negative or infinite positive. No one's at zero. Never. Explain that. What do you mean? So we're, we're born with a sin nature, born into sin. Um, we sin because we're sinners. We have a, uh, an innate, innate sinfulness, and that sinfulness is against an eternally holy, infinite God. Therefore, our negative balance is infinite, just as God is infinite. Yet whenever we believe, we're given the infinite righteousness of Christ. And so it instantly goes from negative infinity to positive infinity, uh, which is quite amazing. Yeah. And it's what we're singing about this morning, not because I was thinking about that, but <laughs> we stood beneath the debt we could never afford. Is there like a little small version of all that? <laughs> I, I can remember. Yeah, it's in a song. <laughs> we got it in, in lyrical format for you. All right, what about sanctification? What is sanctification as opposed to justification? Ongoing process that we go through. Uh, learn to become more like Jesus Christ. Yeah, so we are becoming more like him. He is completely sanctified. So to be sanctified means to be set apart, to be different. We think about um, the attributes of God and how he is holy. He alone is holy and set apart. There is no wickedness, no sin within him. But the, the primary use of that word um, holy and sanctified is that he is different, he is unique, he is otherly. And when we are sanctified, you talk about how it's an ongoing process, that's usually what we talk about when we're talking about sanctification, the progressive aspect of sanctification. But we are also uh, sanctified in Christ 
at the, the moment of salvation positionally. So there's a, a progressive sanctification and a positional sanctification. Mm -hmm. And positional sanctification is really closely related with justification, that we are declared to be holy, that our position in Christ is that he already understands us to be set apart. He already understands us to be holy. But practically speaking, we have some work to do, right? And that's why scripture tells us to, to look to people who are older in the faith because they have more to offer as far as uh, insight and wisdom because they have been more sanctified. They've been in the Lord longer. And so it's good for us to heed that advice because they've, they've played the game for longer than we have, right? Other thoughts on sanctification? We're going to get into that here this morning. All right. We have this quote up from last week. This is what we ended up with on from Grudem. It says, when people become Christians, the Holy Spirit does an initial cleansing work in them. That's talking about this positional sanctification. Making a decisive break with the patterns of sin that were in their lives before. After the initial break with sin, he also produces in us growth and holiness of life. So there's a, a point in which this progressive sanctification starts when we become saved. Um, every good tree is going to bear good fruit. And so we can look to our lives for confirmation of salvation, not that you know, that gives us uh, concrete evidence of our salvation, but it will continue on throughout our life. It is first important to note that believers are permanently indwelled by the Holy Spirit. We've been talking about that. And so the Holy Spirit takes up residence within us. He doesn't come upon us and leave us like he did in the Old Testament. But when we are in Christ, we are indwelt permanently by him. We've seen that in these different passages, Romans 8. Let's look these up real quick. We'll everybody... get four volunteers to take these different passages. You can get Romans 8 for us. All right, Melissa, 1 Corinthians 3, 16. Jerry, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Logan, and 2 Timothy 1. I'll take this. All right, Jerry. Go ahead and read when you Yep. You, however, yeah. you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. All right. So a couple times in that passage says the spirit who dwells us and the same one who gives life to Christ takes up residence within us. That's... That's a trick. All right, Jerry, 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? All right. In the Old Testament, that's where God dwelt among his people in the temple. And in the New Testament, he has taken up residence. He has indwelt us. We are the temple of God. Louis? 6.19. Uh, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. All right. Now it gets a little bit more applicable. We are not our own. So the fact that the Holy Almighty Creator from everlasting to everlasting has taken up residence within us means that we can't just do whatever we want. We have to submit to Him as His His creatures, as His servants. Um, we can't just Go off and do our own thing. Jeremy. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard, through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, the treasure which has been entrusted to you. All right. So again, we see there a combination of this awesome thought that God indwells us, but that comes with a, a measure of responsibility that we have to guard what has been entrusted to us. 
The indwelling of the Spirit gives power to believers, freeing them from sin and guiding them into all righteousness. John 16, 13. Um, remember those chapters, John 14 through 16, really talk about how the Spirit was promised in John 14. John 15 talks about how Jesus is alive. And John 16 talks about how we have power by the Holy Spirit. Sanctification is not so much a work of the believer as it is a submission to the work of God. Let's look at Philippians 1 6 and 2 12. You want me to do that? Uh, well, I'll check Philippians. But yeah, you can grab 1 6 for us. Just you can go to 2 Philippians 1 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. All right, and so here we're getting into this work of sanctification, of becoming more like Christ and being holy more in a, a practical sense. So we need to develop our, our works to be aligned with Christ, not just our works, our, our thoughts, our, our actions, our whole body being to be aligned with Christ. And it says here that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. We talk about in justification and salvation how the Holy Spirit is the one who does the work, right? What is our role in our salvation? Faith. Without faith, we have no submission to the fact of who Christ really is. Our faith leads us to do the things with the Holy Spirit's guidance and His instructions in, in our lives. All right. So there's nothing that we can do, no work that we can do that can bring us into salvation. Do you have something in here? Just faith is a gift of God. It comes from God. It's all of God. Right, so all we can do is have faith, but even that faith, we recognize is a gift of God. And I'm sure we'll get into this more when we get into soteriology. There's quite a bit of overlap between soteriology and uh, pneumatology because the Holy Spirit is doing the work of salvation. Do you have something to say? The two words states that uh, we're to work out our salvation. Is that James? No, that's what's going Oh, sorry, I jumped ahead. Well, I was going to mention the... You know, what Andy was just saying, it's right here in Philippians 1. Philippians 1, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. So belief yeah. has been granted to us. All right. I'm sure I'm spelling this wrong, but trying to write monergistic and synergistic. The second O needs to be E-R. Okay. Right here? Yeah. Okay. There you go. There we go. And there's, a, there's an I instead of a Y. I think that's an I-S. Like oh, yeah. I just, yeah. You throw a little I'm going to make sure they're not going to So, um, <laughs> <laughs> these. <laughs> Can I <laughs> Yes. Which one? Help me out. So, honor to say this in your district. These are two different ways that we speak of salvation primarily. Um, then, um, so, Ergon in Greek means to, to work, and then mana is one, um, and sin means together, right? So monergism says that there is one who is working, and oftentimes it's, most oftentimes it's applied to our justification, that there is one who is working in our justification, and that person is God alone, that he is even the one who gives us our faith. So we can't say that we are working with him in the sense that we have our faith because then we would have to say that we are somehow wiser or more submissive or that there's something in us that causes us to have that faith to partner together with, with God in our work of justification. And synergism says that it's a joint effort and there are many varying degrees of um, synergism, what people would refer to as synergism. So. Um, you could look at the Latter-day Saint Church and could say they are very synergistic in saying that God has to work and the man has to work with them, that they are saved by grace after all they can do. So that's a joint effort of man and God working together. 
And then again, there are varying degrees of um, how involved man is in his work of justification. Now, in sanctification, um, we're a lot more synergistic in our understanding of sanctification, that God is definitely the one who does the work, but we have more of a responsibility on our part to, to help in our own sanctification, in our um, holiness as believers. He's the one who does all the work, but we have to be submissive to him. We have to be yielding to him and allowing him to work within us. So monergism and synergism are most often refer, referring to our salvation, justification, and might not be the best terms for sanctification, but it's probably the best we have to work with right now. I don't know if there are better terms out there, but um, that's how I kind of think of it. And so this verse here in Philippians 1.6 says that he who began the good work in us, monergistically towards our salvation, uh, he will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So it's saying that he's the one who's going to do this work of perfection, this work of holiness and sanctification in our lives. Um, jump down in verse or chapter 1, down to verse 27. Verse 27 says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. So he wants to call us up. They are um, doing what they're supposed to be doing, standing firm in the one spirit, with one mind striving for the faith of the gospel. 28. In no way alarming, alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Is that the verse you just read, Jeremy? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's been granted to us um, to believe, to have faith. And then, jumping over to chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Alright, so is that you who's quoting that? You want to grab those verses? You got it. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. All right. So what does that mean? In that first verse, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And then in the very next verse, he says, for it's God who works within you. Do we have any thoughts on that? Uh, first thing to notice in verse 12 is that the salvation is something that you already have. Just so everyone's clear on that. And it's an important thing to point out when someone tries to use this as a proof text. Not for your salvation. Yes, right. It's working out something that's already been granted. All right, so yeah, there we see both aspects that we have been commanded to work out our salvation. Again, that's not working for our salvation, but to, uh, to work it out, to actualize what has already been given to us, what has already been placed in. That's in reference to the sanctification that we are to be set apart. We are to be holy as he is holy, 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, that we are to imitate him. And then verse 13 says that God, who works in you, both will and to work for his good pleasure. So he's the one who's doing it, yet we have a responsibility to do it um, by his power, not in our own strength, not in our own power, but by the power that he grants us, by the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. Yes? I was just going to say that it's a... Um think that it becomes a sign of Christian maturity when one is working in conjunction with God to grow the sanctification. Um, the, the bedrock, though, on which you're standing is you're already saved. And there's nothing that you can do to add to that salvation. And if one is even does nothing if they're actually saved, they are saved. They're in God's hands. I'm not saying that you would be apathetic or whatever, but the point is, 
is that once in God's hands, you cannot fall. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that you would stay stagnant. You wouldn't exactly. stay at zero on a, a ledger. Right? Well, if, if you're staying stagnant for year upon year upon year upon year, you must question whether or not you're genuinely saved. Yeah, because we talked about regeneration, how we were born again to a new hope that we have been given a, a new spirit to indwell us. We've been made into new creatures. And so if we are actually regenerated into new people, then we we can't just stay where we are. We have to progress, we have to grow. We're going to do that by the spirit. Yes. Oh, I was just thinking that there's no, no such thing as staying at zero. Be killing sinner, it'll be killing you. Uh, yeah. One of the Puritans I said, or things said, I think. <laughs> um, maybe it's Jonathan Edward, I don't know. Thank you, but, I don't know. I was thinking about no others. But yeah, I mean, that, there's a lot of truth to that. that if you're not actively growing, you're actively dying. Yeah. Yeah, we're either going up or going down. No in between. Other comments on that? Yes, Chip. Yeah, we have to realize, you know, God does the work, but our part is we have to make a choice. We, we can accept or reject his salvation. And after salvation, we still have a choice to be obedient or to be rebellious. And too often, we, we're rebellious. Even we don't realize it, but in many of the things we do every day, we are rebellious. We're still sinners. Yeah, we can't downplay man's responsibility. Um, and we are responsible. We all were responsible this morning. We had a choice to come to church or not come to church, right? Um, to make Sunday school, even though we got one less hour of sleep. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised that we had this many people here. Uh, that's going to be empty. I shouldn't even go. So, um, what's that? If you could skate back. <laughs> yeah, thought maybe I could, but I guess not. In that, but that's well, in that responsibility that we do have as a believer in our progression of growth, we do also have to understand that that God is the one doing this, and we have to have included in this verse fear and reverence, uh, and fear and trembling. He says. Fear and trembling to me indicates that, you know, we have to be sure that we're not crossing the line, that we don't become the fact that we're doing it, that we're in control, that it's God that's doing it, and He's done control. And we're trying to be submissive enough through our responsibilities to grasp what God is doing and has the meaning in our lives. Amen. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, not only the beginning, but we need to continue to fear and to revere and to respect God. Um, and the more we do that, the more we're going to grow in our sanctification. Uh, the verse I've referenced several times lately is uh, in Galatians, saying, Are you so foolish, you foolish Galatians, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now going to continue by the flesh? We can't begin by the Spirit in our justification, realizing that He is the one who has taken and indwelt us and regenerated us and baptized us and done this work within us, and then say, okay, well, good, I'm, I'm okay now. You know, I got this. Uh, we still have to continue by His strength, by His power. Um, Ephesians 6, 10 says that it's in the strength of His mighty power that we have to proceed, and we have to put on the form of God. We don't do that on our own, but in the strength of His mighty power. And I think the word you use here is perfect. We have to submit Him. We have to yield ourselves to Him in progressing in sanctification. Ephesians 5, 15, 3. Ephesians 5, 15, 3. can grab that for us. I got it. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. All right.
Right. So notice there at the end, in verse 18, that we are to be filled with the Spirit. That's a, a passive verb there. We are to be filled. It's not something we do actively, but we allow ourselves to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If believers are permanently indwelt by the Holy Spirit, why is there a command here to be filled with Him? Remember, He takes up residence within us, and He never leaves. He doesn't come upon us and leave. He's always there. So why do we have to be commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, the picture he draws there is being drunk or being sober. Or being drunk, so we're to be... When, when, you, when we drink, we're giving ourselves into the control of a controlling substance. Yeah. So that's what we're doing. Does anybody have a different word there other than be filled in verse 18? So don't get drunk with wine, but rather so be drunk with the spirit. Be drunk with the spirit. Did you raise your hand? Andy? Were you raising your hand? I'm saying things. Okay. So we've got when we dwell with the Holy Spirit. But being filled, I know we had talked on this before, and just something in that, if it was another word, being filled, you know, like we see each other, you know, how you doing today? Are you filled with the Spirit? You're indwelled with it, but maybe you're not filled with it in the sense that maybe you come in today and you're just, you got problems going on in your mind and this, that, and the other, and uh, you're just not with it, and, and there's a lot of other words, but I can't think of them, but I, I get kind of like the idea of such a distinct difference in being indwelled by the Holy Spirit. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit today. You may not be. There's times when we, you know, we've got things going on in our life and we're, we don't feel like we're filled with the Spirit. And I'm rambling, so go ahead. And <laughs> so, yeah, like Jerry was talking about, it uses the, the illustration, the example of getting drunk with, with wine. And when you do that, you are submitting yourselves to the alcohol. You are yielding to the alcohol mm -hmm. and you're allowing the alcohol to control you. So it's speaking of control, being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Um, it talk about in verse 15, walking. So be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. You think about how you walk, you're not always walking. Um, and you're not always walking at the same rate or the same pace. But walking talks of Biblically speaking, talks of something that is a, a habit, something that you habitually. And so we want to make it our habit to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but also realize and recognize that we're not always going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not something that is going to be continual as indwelling is. We are always indwelt with the Holy Spirit, no matter what. Even on our, our worst day, when we are given to our most tempestuous sins, when we are um, prideful and angry and um, not walking in the fruit of the Spirit, but walking in the fruit of the flesh. We are still in love by the Holy Spirit, but we are not in that one. Well, like I said, you're, it's, that's where it's, it's upon you. You are indwelled. And you, maybe you have no bad days, but you can get out of that. You can find yourself in God's Word and encouragement and stuff that you get from that book will probably give you that filling of the spirit, changing your mind, because whatever's going on, maybe it's just being in the words enough to, to do it. Maybe your devotional mind is, is such that it helps you to be filled with the spirit that day and not just letting life, you know, run, run the course for you. Yeah. Love it. Be filled, be progressive. Or that's kind of what I look at it like is, you know, be learning, always learning, always digging, always. Um, in Revelations 3.15, it says, I know your works, you're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot, but because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. So they were just good enough in their own eyes, and they were happy with that. But they were not being filled with the Holy Spirit. They weren't yearning, learning, seeking, progressing. Yeah. Um, yeah let's turn to Revelation over here. 
I've been learning about that a little bit lately. So Revelation 2 and 3, those two chapters are Jesus' letters to these seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, uh, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And he's writing to them, um, commending them, and for five of them, telling them they need to repent because what they've been doing is all right. And as you go through, you see that there are, are fewer and fewer spirit and believers that he's addressing as he's writing to these seven different churches. So in, um, in Revelation 2, 1 and 2, it says, The angel of the church of Ephesus writes, The one who holds the seven stars in his hands, the one who walks among the seven golden lamps, and says this, I know your deeds and your will and your perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false. And so we don't see any indication there of there being uh, unbelievers in their midst. He's writing as if he's writing to a church full of believers, full of Christians, um, full of men who can't tolerate evil. But you go down and you look at his letter to Pergamum in verse 15. He says, so you also have some who in the same way hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. So this church has seemingly less spirit-filled believers, more people who are uh, falling away to false teaching. There are some who hold to that teaching. Um, jumping over to Thyatira, um, let's see, verse 20 says, I have this issue that you tolerate the woman Jezebel. So not only... Um, do they have some that are given to that teaching, but they, they tolerate um, the woman, Jezebel. Verse 24, I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, um, they have known the deep things, who have not known the deep things of Satan. So he went through and he was rebuking them, saying, you guys tolerate Jezebel, you guys give it to all this, and then the rest over here, kind of the, the remnant, you guys are the believers. Um, progressing on even farther, chapter 3, talking to those at Sardis, he says, but you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, only a few. And then you get down to where you were reading from, the letter to uh, Laodicea, and you read verse 15. 16 says, I will spit you out of my mouth. That's pretty um, vivid imagery, right? Verse 17 says, but you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have, no, have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Verse 20 is a popular verse that people often use in, in reference to justification, talking about how um, we are to be made right with, with Christ. It says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And people will say, Jesus just wants to come into your life, right? Jesus wants to, um, to get into your heart. And what this is really saying is that Jesus is outside of this church. He's not within the church of Laodicea. He's standing outside. He's not even there. He's knocking at the door. And, um, they are called to repent and to turn to, to Christ. And so throughout these letters, we see a progression of unbelievers in these churches, a progression of people who are not being controlled and filled by the Holy Spirit. And repeatedly, they're told to repent and to come back to to God. So then, that's something that they or us are are doing or allowing to be done to us, because the indwelling Spirit will, Holy Spirit will convict us. Hopefully, somewhere along the line, and we can, like I said, repent, turn back to where we were before we got involved in all this. You know, before we, you know, we allow ourselves to not be filled with the Spirit. Yeah, and again, I think if that, if we have been indwelled by the Holy Spirit, then He will complete this work in us. Just as we saw in Philippians 2, 12, 13, well, even in uh, 1, 6, that He who began good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So if we are truly in Christ, if we have been indwelled by Him, that we've been justified by him, then we will be sanctified by him. He will continue that work. Other thoughts? Comments? All right. The command of 1 Thessalonians 5.19 is similar. Our command is to submit to God and to ask him to control our thoughts, 
and our actions. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.19 is a verse that says that we are not to punch the spirit. Easy memory verse. Yes. Do not punch the spirit. Yep. Alright, Galatians 5.16-24. through 24. Let's turn there. Galatians 5, 16 through 24. Who's got that for us? I can read. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Alright. So, it's made pretty clear back in verse 17. These are in opposition to one another. You're either walking in the flesh or you're walking in the spirit. The two are diametrically opposed. You can't be doing one while you're doing the other simultaneously. Alright. What does this passage say about the Spirit's work in our sanctification? What well, says he wants to bring our sanctification to a completion, to fulfillment, Kind of needs our cooperation, or he very explicitly needs our cooperation. Either we're in control, or well, we're allowing him to be in control. Yeah, there's a, a leading aspect in verse 18, but it starts with if, if you were led by the Spirit. So the the indication there is that he's the one who's leading, and we're following, and he's. Calling us along, right? We have to submit to that, we have to yield to that, and follow up again. So, is that again with us when it comes down to work out our salvation? That's part of it, that's our portion of it that we can be doing. You know, we're being led by the Spirit, but are we, you know, quenching the Spirit? Are we going about our own our own ways? And we're not filled with the Spirit, we're acting contrary to it. We need to repent and get back on the track. Yeah. And you look down at the the fruits of the flesh, the idolatry, sorcery, strife, jealousy, factions, envy, drunkenness, and many of those might look to us not enticing at all, but surely you can make your way through that list and find one or two that are enticing, that you do struggle with, because sin still has a grip on our hearts because we haven't been glorified in Christ yet. And so we have to make a conscious decision, conscious effort to follow up with the Spirit and uh, turn our back on those things. Again, recognizing that we're not always going to, to do that. We're going to stumble and fall. And if we say we have no sin, then we're alive and the truth is not in us. I think the oh, key to some of that is those who practice such things. We once practiced many of those things. If not all of them. <laughs> now, we still occasionally do those things, but it's not a practice. It's not the thing that we, a Christian, should or do on an ongoing basis. We choose not to, even though sometimes we stumble, but we're no longer practicing those things. Those are not the things that should identify us, that should describe our yeah, they don't mark our lives. So we're not, it's not habitual. It's not habitual thing. And as sinners, we will all do a few of those things, but we'll stop, we'll repent, back in God's Word. But you know, I think, like I said, the word uh, habitual, you're not, you, you get into that habitual thing, maybe you, you probably never were saved. You know, yeah, something you got to. Definitely reason to test yourself. Yeah. 
Logan and Melissa. 25 says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Or walk by the Spirit. Yeah, yeah walk with them. To keep in step and yeah. walk to uh, be controlled by the Spirit. Oh, 1st John has been really helpful for me personally in grappling with like the reality of sanctification. Because on one hand, you can really despair over the fact that you keep sinning. On the other hand, there's like, well, shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? And knowing like striking the balance can be difficult. And I think different people can go into different um, ditches. But just the reality that we will sin and the reality that we should just confess it and be restored in fellowship and, and know that um, we have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. Yeah, those are beautiful verses. End of John 1, beginning of John 2. Jerry. And we can learn, especially when we're getting older, we can learn how to do a lot of these things in verse 19. Very politely or privately. <laughs> you don't have to be in your face, even with things like anger and, and disagreeing. And you just do it quietly behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Become a professional sinner or something. <laughs> but yeah, God doesn't look at the outward appearances. He looks at the heart and judges the heart. And so we have to realize that our heart is uh, wicked deceitful and um, that's what needs to be submitted to the Holy Spirit. It needs to be taken control of our hearts. Alright. It is the will of God that we be sanctified. It says that very explicitly. First Thessalonians 4 3. This fruit is central to Christian living. But we must be sanctified. We must be um, again holy as he is holy in Christ. Lambert. I don't know who that is. Who's Lambert? Keith Lambert. Oh, yeah, the ACDC? Mm-hmm. He's now, well, not anymore. He's now pastor of First Baptist Jacksonville. Okay. Uh, Christian counselor. Keith Lambert said, <laughs> when we obey, that is a fruit of the work of the Spirit, not due to our own moral effort. So that's an interesting insight. So we talk about submitting to the Spirit, yielding to the Spirit, even that submission, that yielding, that obedience is from the Holy Spirit. So he gives us the ability to first turn to him and allow him to work within our own hearts. So even when we talk about uh, sanctification being synergistic, it's kind of borderline monergistic because he's the one who allows us to turn to him in the first place. Um, which again is probably why those aren't the best terms to be using um, when speaking of sanctification. Do you have something? Just oh, showing us a cough drop. There's a, <laughs> there's a uh, the prayer of Augustine that I have above my desk that basically says, you know, Lord, when you look at my works, see your works and not mine. Because if you see your or see my works, you'll judge me. But if you see your works, you'll crown me. Yeah. And that's a uh, Interesting way of thinking about it. Yeah. Well, if we haven't beaten it to death already, it's it's um, just come to my understanding recently that we have zero capacity of ours of, of our own to to keep ourselves alive. Even the very simplest thing still requires God providing for us. We say, well, we stay alive because we feed ourselves, but what do we eat? There isn't a single thing that we eat that God hasn't already provided living. All of everything we eat comes from something that was alive, considering your plants are alive. And we have no capacity to, on our own, to grow anything. We have no capacity whatsoever. We have zero capacity to maintain who we are and what we are. Everything that we do to sustain it still is an absolute provision from it. A total absolute. We have no we we can't survive eating rocks and dirt. It's Amazing. Anyway, we could. <laughs> we can't provide the rocks under ourselves, right? <laughs> and rather than that causing us to be depressed and beating us up, that should cause us to rejoice in the fact that we are completely dependent upon God and to honor Him and to worship Him for the fact that He does everything in our lives. Andy? Just uh, 
expounding on what Jerry said, it's not just that he provides the food. It's that each and every moment, every second, he gives us a heartbeat. He allows gravity to continue. He allows the planet to continue their forces. I mean, it's, it's, it's a moment-by-moment moment thing, literally. You know, it says that um, Christ upholds the universe by his hand. And, you know, acknowledge it or not, that is the basis of how we exist, period. Our ability to think, reason, love, all of these things are reflections of God. So it's, it's a... It's not holistic, it is literally the foundation on which we, every one of us exists, whether we acknowledge it or not. And the fact that we don't acknowledge it is condemned. Is that it's a, a sin yeah. on nature and kind, absolutely. Yeah. And this, like so many things, is just paradox. I mean, it, on the one hand, you could interpret a, a quote like that and say, oh, we're supposed to just totally let go and let God. But that's not the call of Scripture. Yeah. Yet this is the theology behind the call of Scripture. And so we have to maintain both sides. If you careen off in one direction, you'll be in licentiousness saying, well, I'm not supposed to do anything. And if you careen off to the other side, you're in legalism, and you're thinking, well, I'm supposed to do everything. <laughs> but it's a, I'm to obey and recognize that my obedience is a gift of God. Yeah, understand the foundation for our obedience. But, you know, the Spirit, I think the Spirit in us helps us see our needs. Like, it, that's a, you know, bring something to our conscience, whatever, and then we need to act on that. We need to step up with the Spirit. Mm -hmm. We need to follow the, that, that feeling that we're getting from the Spirit. If we say, no, I'm not going to do that, you're not that's in step with the Spirit. Yeah. You're quenching it. So, I mean, there is still something we have to... I mean, it's... it's yeah. Cool. yeah. It, but, but then when we do it, we look back and we thank God that He allowed us yeah, to do it. Yeah, right. <laughs> so it's, it's yeah. both and. Yeah. 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 Right. So yeah. much of life is we both We have to thank Him that He showed us. Uh -huh. Yes. Convicted us. And then we thank Him for the power to do it. Yes. Mm -hmm. So it's still... We have to make a conscious choice. Yeah. It has to be a choice. We have to choose. And I hope we would all do it out of love, but in 1 Corinthians 3, uh, 15 through 17, there's a warning to the Christian who does it. That's going to be it says, you're the temple of God, and the person that defiles the temple of God, God will destroy. That's definitely talking to the Christian because he's saying you are the temple of God. And if we walk in disobedience, there's a promise there that God will destroy us. So to me, that means he's not going to leave a Christian hanging around here to soil his name. And yeah, I'm talking about eternal damnation. Yeah. Take us home <laughs> prematurely by our perspective, right? Mm -hmm. our understanding. Yeah. yeah, it's a weighty matter for sure. All right, MacArthur says, the chief characteristic of one's salvation and subsequent sanctification is an ongoing, habitual, growing obedience to God's word that is empowered by the indwelling Holy Spirit who controls the lifestyle of a true Christian. That is a loaded quote. There's a lot in there. <laughs> one sentence. <laughs> yeah, one sentence. Should have been a Puritan, right? Um, yeah, it's all about submission to God, um, growing in obedience, habitually ongoing um, by the power of the glowing spirit who controls the lifestyle of a true Christian. Quote, quote. <laughs> All right, other important passages. Uh, I don't know if we'll get into these. We'll just kind of summarize them. Um, well, we can look at Revelation 2 a little bit, right? But Numbers 11, 24, 25. Um, Drop this down and look them up later. It talks about how the Holy Spirit was given and um, not separated, not divided, but given to 70 different men at the same time. So they were all fully indwelt, fully controlled by the one Holy Spirit of God at the same time. 
which is pretty <coughs> was revolutionary. <coughs> Um, and now has just multiplied even more that millions of people can be engulfed and controlled by the one Holy Spirit of God at the same time. And we don't have any less of God just because he's indwelling other believers, which is pretty cool to think about. Uh, Isaiah 40, 13, that talks about um, the Spirit being unguided, undirected. Who has directed the Spirit of God? Who acts as his counselor? Nobody. He does what he wants because he is God. He is completely autonomous. He has um, self-existence within himself. As saved, we talked about how nobody has granted him anything. He is omniscient. Nobody has taught him anything. Um, he is 100% God. Matthew 28, 18-20 talks about how we're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He is one person, one of the three persons of the one triune God of the universe. Ephesians 4, 1-6 um, talks about being filled by the Spirit, preserving unity in the Spirit, how we have one faith, one Spirit, one Lord, one baptism. One God and Father of us all. And then Revelation 2 7 says, Let him who has an ear hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So to pay attention to what it is that he says as he guides and directs. And he said the same, not the same thing, but he has with the same authority spoken to us throughout all of Scripture as he has carried holy men of God along as they wrote down Scripture for us. So that's why we hold scripture in such high regard, recognizing that it comes from the spirit of God. Closing comments. Okay, good. I have closing comments for you because I forgot we have one more page. <laughs> so think of these things. Some of them we've touched on. What has the Holy Spirit done in your life? How can you fight sin? How does the spirit change your prayer life? And what are the marks of the Spirit's baptism? Um, his identifying us with Himself and empowering us in His work. We talked about that last two weeks. So, good things to ponder on, good things to think on. Let's close in prayer. God, we do pray that we would be controlled and filled by Your Holy Spirit, that we would be yielding and submitting to You always, that You would guide and direct us in the way that you would have us to go. We thank you that we have the indwelling Holy Spirit um, without division, that you haven't given us part of yourself, but that you have taken up residence in your creature, and we pray that you would use us, that you would allow us to, to walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh, that we would... Um, we would do what we want to do and not that which we don't want to do. We would be allowed, that we would be filled by you passively, that you would give us that obedience to, to follow you. God, we thank you for your church, for your people. Pray that you would use them to, to edify us, to strengthen us, to convict us. God, we thank you for who you are and pray that you would be pleased with our praise today, with our worship, and you would just teach us more about you and cause us to love you more. Amen.